HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Meet and 3 is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at choosecherries.com. The Philando Castillo Relief Foundation was founded after the murder of my son, Philando Castillo. He was 32 years old and was pulled over by Falcon Heights police uh, because of a broken tail light. It went from zero to a murder, and um, there was a trial, and uh, the officer was acquitted of uh, the single charge of uh, manslaughter. I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, Executive Director of Heritage Radio Network, and this is Meet and Three. Our nation is facing a reckoning. After the recent deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and David McAtee, Americans are rising up with renewed and strengthened calls for an end to police brutality. As protests in all 50 states have grown, there have been riots, looting, and an increase in violence, particularly violence escalated and perpetuated by militarized police forces. We're also starting to see early signs of change. All four officers involved in the murder of George Floyd have been arrested. New York City's city council is mobilizing to ban chokeholds, and cities like Richmond have announced that Confederate monuments will finally be removed. HRN stands in full support of peaceful protesters who are advocating for change. It is far past time for us to recognize and reckon with systemic racism that touches every part of our society. We are all too aware of how racist policies play out in our food system, from African-American farmers being denied loans to the ways that redlining and white flight created food deserts across American cities. It is our duty and our privilege to examine these issues every day. But now we have a renewed imperative to address the link between systemic racism and police violence. This week we're revisiting the tragic story of Philando Castile, who was killed by a police officer on July 6, 2016, in Falcon Heights, Minnesota. Castile was a cafeteria supervisor for the J.J. Hill Montessori School in St. Paul. Laura Stanley, the host of Inside School Food, produced a tribute to him in partnership with St. Paul Public Schools. We will play that episode for you in full in a moment. We also reached out to Philando's mother, Valerie Castile, this week for an update about the foundation she started in his memory. The Philando Castile Relief Foundation provides immediate assistance to families who experience loss of a loved one from gun or police violence. 
It also works to pay off school lunch debt for families in need and advocates for police reforms. HRN will be donating 10% of our membership drive proceeds from today until June 15th to the Philando Castile Relief Foundation to support the important work being done by Valerie Castile and her family. Stay tuned after this special tribute episode to hear more. When he was born, he was a beautiful, healthy, bouncing baby boy. He was a gentle soul. He, he truly was. He was a, a friendly face, a cheerleader. Phenomenal, humbled, intelligent, loving. You know, you wouldn't notice him necessarily, but he would be there and he would contribute in his quiet way. He was a very bright, caring individual who worked his way up through the ranks to become a cafeteria supervisor. He greeted everybody with a smile. He he was so happy at his job all the time. He was so willing to do whatever was needed. You are listening to a special episode of Inside School Food. We are the podcast for school nutrition professionals and other people who work in child wellness. I'm Laura Stanley. On July 6, 2016, our community suffered the loss of one of our own. His name was Philando Castile. Phil was a 32-year-old cafeteria manager at the J.J. Hill Montessori School in St. Paul. He was killed by police in a routine traffic stop in Falcon Heights, Minnesota. His death was witnessed around the world online in a cell phone video that was captured by his girlfriend, Diamond Reynolds. I met Philando in 2009. It was just in passing. It was on a tour of the St. Paul Schools Food Service. Um, I met so many people on that trip, and yet I, I remembered Phil so clearly, and why I could never say until now. The children called him Mr. Phil. To many parents, he was Mr. Rogers with dreadlocks. He was a quiet man, um, and over the years on the job, he became quietly important and very much loved. So as the school year gets to a start, the grief among his friends and co-workers in the St. Paul schools runs deep. Today, we are going to hear from 11 of them and his mom, Valerie Castile, in mourning and in celebration of a life well-lived and a job well done. There is a joke that says that St. Paul is really small, Paul. The idea that, you know, a lot of folks in the community grew up together. They know one another. Folks will often leave St. Paul and come back to raise their families. We're the largest employer in the city of St. Paul. And so many folks know each other from childhood. Um, They're connected in a lot of different ways. And then within each of the kitchens, the supervisors really do everything they can to create a culture and environment of community where folks work together and work as team members because they're in such close quarters putting out meals every day for kids. Um, You really get to know people and you begin to connect as almost a family. We just like to think St. Paul has more of the arts and a lot of culture and diversity here. We're good people. St. Paul is the quieter of the Twin Cities. Phil was born and raised in a tight-knit African-American neighborhood, and he lived there his whole life. 
He was a good kid all around. He went on to high school. He started working when he was 13 because he liked uh, those sneakers, those expensive sneakers. So I said, yeah, well, you can have those, but you have to meet me halfway. I'm not going to buy them myself. If you want those type of things, then you're going to have to get a job and get them yourself, and that's what he did. The St. Paul schools have been a beacon for school food in the Midwest for a long time. They cook and they bake from scratch, and they've been pioneers in farm-to-school, buying fresh food from local farmers. They've also been pioneers in developing menus that reflect the diversity of their student body, which includes white kids and African-American kids, kids from Southeast Asia, from East and Central Africa, kids from Mexico, and Central America. Nutrition Services has worked hard to recruit staff that reflect that same diversity. When I was going to school back in the day, you didn't see no 30-year-old nobody black in that kitchen. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that's the honest guy true. It just wasn't, it just didn't happen. And when he got to that point, he felt like he had, you know, made a great accomplishment because even in the school now, you can't go in there and see no young black African-American man supervised in the kitchen. A lot of times, if you walk through our schools, um, there is a, a um, there isn't a, a big presence of African American men being represented in in the school that can um, relate to the African American children. The children kind of uh, when they see Phil, he's one of us. You know, like he made it. You know, even though you see the super the cafeteria supervisor, he's somebody who could relate to the African American children in the district. Also, a lot of times um, when the kids are acting out in the schools, even me myself, I can kind of relate a little different. Then the teacher just yelling, Bobby, please stop, please stop. I kind of look at the kid because I'm from the same neighborhood, and I can say, look, man, you represent your mother and your father. Cut it out. Phil was a graduate of the school district where he worked. He started there straight out of high school in 2002. The day we met, he was supervising Taco Day in an elementary school lunchroom. It was a lively scene. It was high harvest season, so the kids piled in and filed through a choice bar packed with Minnesota-grown veggies. The leftovers went into a slop pail for a local pig farm. Phil was really a natural in the setting. I remember how proud he was showing us around his small prep kitchen. He was brand new. He was like 19 years old, Mm. a young black male. It was a, a tough situation for him because he this was a high school and he wasn't much older than the the kids that we were serving uh nutrition service employees are normally called lunch ladies mm-hmm. and that's a, a tough title for a young man to handle <laughs> yeah. but he did it he did it with a smile he did it uh, he, he was so happy at his job all the time he was so willing to do whatever was needed he made lunch ladies look cool. He was just so good for this business. And and he acted the part, and he just, in every way, was a good role model. And he made it look like you don't have to look like your typical lunch lady to be a good, cool lunch lady. You know, he could 
um, it, you know, his, it, it wasn't a, like the one quote somebody said, it wasn't a hairstyle, it was a, it's not a lifestyle, it's, or hair, oh, how's it going? <laughs> it's not a lifestyle, it's a hairstyle. Meaning that you could just look, there are many things come in great packages, and he was one of them. He, he kind of um, blazed the path for others. At St. Paul Public Schools, our supervisors have a very big job. Um, our supervisors are responsible for everything from customer service to managing food allergies to um, ordering and receiving and, of course, cooking and preparing food. Um, one of the primary duties, too, is keeping our food service environment um, safe and clean. So really, the full operation of a child nutrition program is under the direction of a supervisor at the school level. So we are oftentimes relying on our supervisors to manage the day-to-day breakfast, lunch, snacks, and oftentimes supper programs in our schools. At the same time, engaging with students um, to help build that positive climate that they need um, and support their academic success. That's really what our supervisors do. It's, it's not one thing. It's not monotonous. Um, it's a very dynamic role, and it's one that requires somebody who has a lot of compassion, um, competency, and then also commitment. Things would be flying. Kids would be coming. Food's coming out of the oven. We're getting it on the, on the serving line. But Phil was always, no problem. I got this. You know, he... Um, did, did, it happens very often that we're short-staffed or um, maybe a delivery is late. Maybe, um, you know, any number of things happen, and I, I don't think I ever saw him. Um, he was unflappable. He was just, he could, he could take care of it. He was calm. He always pushed me to try to make me do better. Like, everything I, everything I would tell him that I wouldn't want to do, he would always push me to do it. Like, when I first started coming there, I was only doing little things at a time or whatever. But by the middle of the year, he had pushed on this whole other load of stuff on me. He said, Vanessa, you can do it. It's not that big of a deal. It's not hard. I know you're a hardworking person, and you will be able to take on it. So you can do it. So by the end of the year, basically just from him just pushing me and just telling me, Vanessa, come on, I know you can do it. I was basically, you know, I was serving 300-something um, kids at lunchtime in a, in a matter of an hour and a half by myself, no help. I was washing dishes. I was, you know, I was multitasking. I was just doing a lot of things that I never thought that, you know, I'll be able to do. But he pushed me so hard to to be the better at, to be better at everything that I did. He absolutely grew on the job. When he came in, he really knew nothing. Um, it's it's a, a on-the-job training for the most part. Um, he was he was uh, willing to listen to what people told him. He was quick to try new and innovative ways to serve the kids and to keep them happy. He got along very well with all the other staff. He was willing to try anything they suggested. Um, he wanted to make sure he was was doing things correctly. Uh, there were times he bucked me a little bit, but that was good. It showed his leadership qualities. It was obvious from the very beginning that he wanted to go places. He wasn't satisfied with just being staff. He wanted to move on and become a supervisor, which he did. 
If you don't work in school food, you might not know that managing a school lunchroom calls for a very level head and an incredibly diverse skill set. Ordering, inventory, portion sizing per the USDA's nutrition regulations, cooking, food safety, crowd control, making it all look and smell good, being that grown-up that everyone in the room looks up to and listens to, just like a teacher. You seem to be a natural with, um, you know, getting along and actually motivating students. He really would, oh, you look sharp today. Oh, my goodness, you know, look at that. He would really notice new things about the kids. He always knew everybody by name. He'd call them by name, and he'd make it a personal one-on-one, which was something not everybody was able to do. Um, He was a good cook. It smelled good in his kitchen. He cared about the appearance of the food and the quality. He took his job to heart. He He took it very seriously. And there was, like, nothing in the world that he wouldn't do or try to make better for the kids that's at our school. I get up at 4.30 in the morning, and I was getting ready and I, my husband was downstairs with it, uh, the TV on, and I, I had this news. And, you know, you wake up every morning, and there's a shooting somewhere. But when they said his name, I just, I probably stumbled downstairs, and I asked my husband if they really did say his name. I had a voicemail, and I picked it up, and um, it was Phil's mother, who I had never met or anything, but she apparently had my name as his supervisor, and she called and in such a calm voice said that, and introduced herself and said that uh, she wanted to let me know that her son, Phil, had been killed um, by police and he's no longer with us. And, And that was it. I think many of the kids saw from either the television or the Facebook, and I know that some of the parents said that they let their kids watch it, and just because they needed to know, and and it was a huge news story. It was all over the news. Everyone I talked to told me that Phil was shy with adults, but totally extroverted with students. Children who ate breakfast in the cafeteria would see him first before their teachers. So part of his job was to greet them and set the tone for their day. From the sound of it, this was the part of the job he loved the most. And and this is where he really made his reputation with students and families. When you watched him around the kids, he knew their names. Um, He's, you know, high-fiving them and fist-bumping and, and, um, you know, knew what they liked you know, oh, make sure you take this, or, oh, you know, sometimes kids would take, um, you know, they're allowed one entree, and sometimes they would try to sneak a second one, and he'd kind of give them a look like, you know the rules. He actually knew each one of their dietary, um, their aller- food allergies is what they are, food allergies. So, like, you'd have a kid that'd pick up milk that's not, suppose that, that it's like lactose intolerant. Like, you're not supposed to have that, man. You're supposed to have that silk milk over there, man. You're not supposed to have this over here because it's got whole wheat in it. You're not supposed to have that because it's got nuts in it. I see you have a new haircut. Uh, did you finally lose that tooth? Um, how'd the game go last night? Or, you know, um, any anything that was personal to that kid. And he was very 
um, I think I said authentic, and children pick up on that, and they really gravitated towards him, and he was... He was their guy, Mr. Phil. He did. He wanted to know every one of them name. Um, if they didn't have money on their their books, if that's what you want to say, um, if they didn't have money to eat, Phil would feed them. He'll, he'll go in his wallet and put it on their account. Some 70% of St. Paul students receive school meals free or at a reduced price. But in St. Paul, not every family eligible for this benefit signs up for it. And this is the case in districts all across the country, and there are many reasons it happens. Simple pride is a big one. Districts struggle to feed hungry kids whose food isn't paid for. Sometimes the problem is discreetly dealt with by caring people who work on the front lines of child hunger. Phil Castile was one of them. Another thing that he did, and, and, and he wasn't alone in this, our supervisors do this sometimes, but for students who run out of money in their account and they get too far below zero, there's a cheese sandwich and milk, and this is some time ago that we would, they would give that to them for, for free, um, and there's kind of a stigma with that, and Phil, Phil was known to put money in the child's account so he could save them from the cheese sandwich. To outsiders, school lunchrooms seem loud and chaotic. In fact, it's controlled chaos. The ideal is a happy and an egalitarian environment that sustains learning in the classroom. And ideally, the cafeteria serves as a classroom itself, where the children learn about self-worth, civility, and nutrition. Now, generally, when people talk about schools, they focus on teachers who do an incredibly hard and important job, but equally important are the people who work in other roles that we don't necessarily focus on, you know, the school nurse, the clerical and administrative staff, and, of course, nutrition services. Um, kids, if they're hungry, they can't concentrate. And Mr. Phil made sure that those kids were not hungry. They were able to learn better because of the fact of the work that he did. And I think the young people saw in him not just somebody who made sure that they had meals, but also somebody they could talk to, as you said, was uninhibited around kids and would encourage them. He was a friendly face, a cheerleader, and all of that impacts their social and emotional development. Um, that alone, I think, would make an impact, but uh, Mr. Phil touch the lives of these students and their families in a way I think that was unique. And he just wanted to be a, a mentor for the kids, and he felt like if he, if he got to work every day, he could feed the kids because he believed that if you feed the children a good meal in the day, they'll learn better all day. His true aspirations were our, our coordinator, which is a position that has kind of like a regional manager to a section of like 20 schools. And that would, I think if we would have had him for that role, it would have been so wonderful because he could train and keep calm and you know, when it would get so busy and people would get confused and flustered, he just would know what to say. And you can tell, too, in how he trained his staff, his, his, his Vanessa. 
she just, they work so well, I can tell. John Thompson saw Phil on July 4th, two days before the shooting. He was surprised to hear that Phil was working the summer, so he asked him, why did you give your summer up? And Phil said, well, I love the kids. And then he said, as I'm walking away, JT, man, I love everybody, right? I'll tell you this, um, two days later, Phil got killed. And since that day, those last words have stuck with me since that day. It was meant, I think God meant for me to hear Phil say, JT, I love everybody. Because now, I mean, I've met your so many relatives, so many friends, so many people, so many people that me and Phil were friends with that didn't even know we knew each other. <laughs> and we get the same thing. Like, he honestly, when he said that, he meant that. And I'll take that with me for the rest of my life. That was the last words I heard my friend say, that he loved everybody. School has been back in session for two weeks. Phil's absence for most of the kids, it's fresh. They've known all summer he would be gone, but now they're really experiencing it. Phil's assistant, Vanessa, thought about leaving, but she's decided to stick it out for the students, for Phil. She says it will be hard, but if everyone sticks together, she says they're going to be okay. very interesting year and yeah it's gonna be a lot different because just from like I said just from the open house um here this week the kids had a lot of questions about like what's going on what's gonna happen is we gonna have the same lunch menu or is the new lunch lady gonna be as nice as um feel there are a number of children who are feeling lost and hurt right now and they're also seeing that here's someone who did everything right someone who worked hard someone who was um a committed citizen, and this was unfortunately his fate. And I think a lot of um, sadness and um, despair is resonating with our community right now because for someone so wonderful to have been taken from us in this tragic manner, um, it's hard to say that you can't just actually do everything right and, and have the best outcome. As long as I have breath, because um, Phil does have a voice, I'm going to be that voice. I'm going to be his voice. I'm going to try to get something to change about the way that we're being policed in our communities by the cops. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to caucus with a lot of people in power to help me to further that cause, you know. It's just, we're just talking now, but it's a start that we never had.
Inside School Food is a production of the listener-supported Heritage Radio Network. Many thanks to the friends, family, and colleagues who shared their thoughts and memories with us. Cole Wellhaven, Fatima Lawson, John Thompson, Jonathan Palmer, Mary Smith, Michelle Bierman, Mary Lowry, Rosemary Moe, Sheila Stowers, Stacy Copen, Vanessa Smith, and Valerie Castile. And thanks also to our team behind the scenes, David Tadishore, Aaron Fairbanks, Yvette Caban-Resto, Pierre Bien-Aimé, Sarah Nix, and Patty Wells. Welcome back to this special episode of Meet and Three, where we're revisiting the story of Philando Castile. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we spoke with Valerie Castile this week to hear about how the foundation she started in her son's memory has grown since 2016. What we do is we give a donation. As of 2020, we increased it to uh, $400. We give families $400 to go on funerary expenses, clothing, or, you know, just simply get out of that situation and go somewhere and have a good time, whatever they want to do with it. We also refer them to any specific social services that they may need for grief counseling or housing or paying utilities and things of that nature. We can certainly refer them to someone that can help them under those circumstances. The Philando Castile Relief Foundation is also widely known for paying off school lunch debt. We uh, pay the negative lunch balances yearly for Minneapolis and St. Paul school districts. Recently, we paid District 287, which is a district that uh, helps our more challenged students, students with special needs and things like that. And to my dismay, I didn't know that those children had to pay for lunches as well. So we made a, a donation to those guys. These are some things that my son held near and dear to his heart, family, community, and uh, he loved his job. He was dedicated to his job in which he paid for a lot of those children's meals out of his own pocket. He wouldn't let a child go hungry or put them in a position where they ate something different than the other children. Furthermore, the foundation has been involved in the fight to end police brutality in the U.S. Since 2016, we have also been working with legislature, you know, talking with the governors and mayors and sitting on panels and boards, trying to uh, talk about and, and, and do police reform and policy changes. Since 2016, we've been involved with uh, John Jay Criminal College in New York, where we participated. It was about 52 of us from around the United States, prosecuting attorneys, district attorneys, activists, ex-police officers, other family members that have lost a loved one to police fatalities, and we developed what we call the toolkit. Unfortunately, this toolkit published in February of 2019 was never put into action. No one is talking about it, is sitting somewhere gathering dust, because obviously they're not implementing any of it 
the policies aren't changing because you're still getting the same results. It's difficult to grapple with how little has changed since Philando Castile's death four years ago. As our nation struggles to reckon with more recent deaths at the hands of police, Valerie hopes she will see her persistent efforts lead to real progress. I'm glad that, you know, people are waking up and beginning to think about it, that obviously there's something going on that needs to be changed, and it's the policy. You know, anytime you have a policy that it's okay to put your knee on someone's upper body, you know, I mean, anytime you're constricted where you don't have blood flow, you're going to pass out or you're going to die. Simple. So I'm glad that they're understanding now. So we'll see where that leads because I feel like right now is the opportunity that community members and community leaders should be sitting at that table. We've been doing a lot. It's it's a lot. And uh, right now, I am pretty much emotionally drained because of uh, the um, bringing up those emotions that I felt uh, in 2016. But uh, I'm trying to keep doing what I uh, have to do, what God has led me to do. Everything that we do is orchestrated and led by God and the spirit of my son. We give our deepest thanks to Valerie Castile for speaking with us about her son's life and legacy. If you would like to learn more about the Philando Castile Relief Foundation, visit philandocastilefoundation.org. And a reminder that 10% of HRN's membership drive proceeds between now and June 15th will be donated to the foundation. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to make your gift. Special thanks this week to Laura Stanley, host of Inside School Food on HRN. Meet and Three is produced by Hannah Forden, Matt Patterson, Kat Johnson, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Katie Mosman-Wadler. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet and Three is powered by Simplecast. Meet and Three is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or would just like to say hey, write us at ideas at meetin3.nyc. That's all spelled out. This episode of Meet and Three is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. A cherry isn't just a cherry. When it comes to tart cherries, the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry variety is the cherry with more. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. U.S. Montmorency tart cherries are also one of America's superfruit, which means they're good for you. Tart cherries contain many antioxidants and beneficial phytonutrients, including anthocyanins, the pigments that give tart cherries their bright red color. And don't forget about flavor— U.S. Montmorency's unique sour-sweet profile make them an excellent addition to yogurt, oatmeal, salads, 
trail mix, and of course, a classic cherry pie. Learn more about the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency Tart Cherry at ChooseCherries.com.